Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hello to you, the automotive faithful. I am Reverend Hatfield, and I welcome you to the Driven Radio Show, where we bring you the gospel of internal combustion. Here with me in the Driven Radio pulpit is our engineer and co-host, Minister Mark Grove. Testify! We are coming to you from the Temple of All Things Automotive, the Driven Radio Show studios. Our special guest this week is Mark Green, host of the Five Times Weekly Cars Yeah! podcast. A lifelong automotive enthusiast, Mark started a detailing business for high-end vehicles at the age of 14. Oh, my God. After graduating from college, he spent 11 years as a, as a creative director and an account executive in the graphic design and advertising industry. In 1994, Mark became a partner at Griot's Garage. Mark spent over 20 years there, first as the vice president of marketing and merchandising, and then as the company president, before selling his shares to create the Cars Yeah! brand. Mark has interviewed over 2,200 inspiring automotive enthusiasts since 2014, and he is an enthusiastic fan of German sports cars. Mark, welcome to Driven Radio. Hey, guys. It's great to be here. I'm a little worn out here in that introduction. I think I've been working too many years. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like or something. You yeah. know, uh, interview turnabout is fair play. I have to thank you for having me on Cards Yeah a couple weeks ago. I had a lot of fun yep. with you then. People don't realize that we spoke for well over an hour before the interview. I think our conversation was twice as long as the show. <laughs> <laughs> that happens sometimes. But, you know, I get to talk to very interesting people, and you were definitely one of those. So, yeah, in fact, after about 45 minutes, I went, man, I should have just been recording this. We'd be done. <laughs> yeah, what was I thinking? <laughs> no, we, we had a, a nice long conversation, covered a lot of, uh, of car love ground. And uh, found out a little bit about some of your cars. We'll get to those in a minute. Where did you grow up? Well, I was very fortunate. Uh, I had very hardworking parents. My father was an architect and had his own practice, worked a lot. Uh, I grew up in La Jolla, California, which is just north of San Diego, so Southern California. And gorgeous. Uh, yeah, idyllic place to grow up. I mean, it was just, I look back now and I, man, you don't know how lucky you have it if you're in a great place when you're a kid. You just think the whole world lives like that. But surfing and you, know, you could see a surf spot that I frequented, uh, Wind and Sea, from the bleachers where our football field was. And great people, great fun. Uh, grew up skateboarding and in the car culture and being in La Jolla it was a more upscale neighborhood. So a lot of my friends' dads had very nice cars. So I got to be around that whole thing. So yeah, I ended up going to school at UCSD, which is in La Jolla as well, where I met my wife and she was studying on the smart side of school. She was the engineering student. And so uh, we started dating, ended up getting married later. And then uh, actually I told her, I said, I'll marry you once you graduate. She was a few years younger than me. So uh, we did that. And then we moved to uh, Del Mar which is the next coastal city up where we bought our first home. And that's where we kind of started our careers. But uh, wonderful, wonderful growing up. Uh, back when I had long hair, when I had any hair, <laughs> long hair, uh, surfing and, you know, doing all sorts of stuff. It was pretty cool. Wow. You could see a surf spot from your high school bleachers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, from our high school bleachers, I could see 151st Street. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was pretty cool. In fact, uh, you could even, if you brought your surfboard to school, you could even put it in the uh, gym. There was a place where you could stack your boards up so that. What? You uh, have oh. surfboard parking? 
Oh, well, yeah, because well, you had to because if you left it on the car, it was hot in the wax and melt. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. So you know you didn't want the wax melting dripping on your car, especially nah. if you're a car nut like me. And so, and I even had a, I had a teacher that was a, a Spanish teacher, and if you could pass the vocabulary test on Thursday, you didn't have to come in on Friday, and that class was right before lunch, so you could go down the street and surf for two hours and come back. For Bail and go classes. surf and come back to school. Yeah, so uh, it was an incentive. He was a surfer too. Mr. Swaim, I think was his name. It was yeah. brilliant too. Talk about yeah. making people learn stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, I think he liked to go surfing with all of us, so that was his way of learning. <laughs> Better knuckle too. down so I can go get in the water. Yeah, yeah. amen. Exactly, yeah. How did you become interested in marketing and advertising? What drove you to study that? Well, I started a detailing business when I was 14. My next-door neighbor was a FBI agent. How cool is that? Mr. Uh, Swanson. Swanser. Swanser, yeah. If Swanson. that was they, his name. I think they name. made food or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Yeah, if that was his real name. And he was just a nice guy, and he bought the first uh, 450SL when they first came out in 73, late 73, 74 model. And I went over to see it, and I said, could I wash your car? And he said, yeah, sure. And so I went over there, and he let me back it out and drive it over to our house, and I spent all day, and I brought it back. And he said, man, this looks better than the day I bought it. I said, well, thank you. And I started to leave, and he said, well, wait a minute. How much do I owe you? And I said, well, you're going to pay me? Goes, <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just thought it was cool to be able to put my hands on a Mercedes like that. And let me tell you said, something, well, kid. <laughs> yeah. He said, well, I didn't expect you to do it for free. So anyway, he paid me. I think it was like 25 bucks, and I came home, and I was so excited I thought, man, all I need to do is wax three cars. I could buy a new surfboard. And my dad said, you know, you seem to like doing that. What if you started your own business? And I said, well, how would I do that? He said, well, you have a paper route. I mean, I was one of those crazy kids. I had a paper route for four and a half years. Oh, wow. Jamie. Seven days a week, getting up at four in the morning, driving, riding a swim bike around, delivering papers, rain or shine. Uh, but the great thing about it was when I was done, it was still early and I could go surfing. Yep. So I could do the Dawn Patrol deal. So at any rate, my dad helped me create a flyer that we called Car Care, <laughs> kind of basic, right? Uh, car Care. And I asked my manager if I could put those flyers in my papers, and a business was born. So I started detailing cars for people. And uh, I, as a result, there was a lot of nice cars in La Jolla. So I'd ride my bike all over La Jolla, and I'd put my, my dad helped me do business cards on all the nice cars' windshields, Mercedes and Porsches and even some Rolls Royces and Ferraris nice. and things. And one of the cars I put it on was a guy named John Ort Geeson, and he was a landscape architect. And so I did his cars, and he said, you know, you seem like a pretty uh, sharp guy. How would you like to do some drawing for me? And I said, what kind? He said, well, some fine drawing of irrigation systems, like how the pipes all go together. And he showed me what he wanted. Now, if you guys ever heard of a rapidograph pen, remember those old pens that they had these barrels in them and you'd fill with ink? And they had a little, like a, a needle point, and they were different sizes. And you had to draw on this mylar. And you had to be very exact. And I, I grew up building models, and my dad was an architect, so I kind of had that flair of being very careful. Well, long story short... I started drawing for him, and one day he said, you know, you seem to be pretty creative. How would you like to design a logo for me? Oh, my gosh. And I said, well, I've never done that. And he said, why don't you do some sketches? So I did some sketches for him, and he picked one out, and he said, you know, you should be a graphic designer. I said, what's that? <laughs> he said, well, it's, it's, it's somebody who, you know, designs things. He said, look around. Everything we touch and feel from print to actual objects are designed by somebody. You could do that. And I went. Ah, light bulb. Bing. And so, yeah, so I started doing my own graphic design. I started a T-shirt 
uh, business with a friend of mine. We silkscreen T-shirts in the garage. We printed up and designed stickers that we'd go and sell at all the stores in town uh, for La Jolla stickers, like with waves and birds and things. And so that entrepreneurial spirit kind of started with paper routes. And I think paper routes are probably gone now. I think they're all done in a different way. If sort of papers. papers left. <laughs> yeah. But that, that teaches you how to interact, how to communicate with clients. You have to be very prompt. You have to, if you don't get that paper on their porch in the morning, they get a little PO'd and, yep. you know, on time. And so that kind of triggered the marketing kind of idea in my head that people had to sell things. And so I learned how to do that. And then I found out, oh, there's like actual, you can study in college to become a graphic design a business major to do marketing and that kind of thing. So that's what I ended up studying was, uh, was graphic design and advertising and marketing a business. And that's where it all kind of came from. And that's what landed me my first job was as a, uh, intern at a design firm in San Diego. And then they hired me when I graduated from college. And about six months in, I said, how can I make more money? And like, my boss said, well, because I hired me as a creative guy, you know, drawing and designing brochures and things. And he said, well, bring in work. I said, well, how do I do that? And he said, well, tomorrow come in in a suit and I'll take <laughs> you with me. And so we went, this is way before the internet. We went downtown, went into buildings, looked at the rosters, went up, knocked on doors, taught me how to go in and try to sell our products and our services. You went cold calling for uh, advertising for work? For graphic design. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. that's not easy. Because no, most of it's not. go away. You, you learn how to get past the lady at the front desk. That was the, you know, <laughs> I, I learned, you know, bring flowers, bring donuts, bring, you know, she likes to see you. So, yeah. So he, he was, his name was Richard Warner. And uh, he really helped me. And I ended up being at that company. I did both design, became the creative concept person, along with some other artists there. We grew that business tenfold over the course of 10 years and then also went out and brought in business. So half the week I'd put on my Coogie. Remember Coogie sweaters? Uh, oh, they're God. still around, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Coogie sweaters uh, three days a week and then two days a week I'd go out and sell. So, yeah. That's how it all happened. That's how it all came together. So we're both impressed. Mark and I are both impressed by the sales, uh, the salesmanship, mostly because we figured out what crappy salesmen we both are. Oh, God, I'm awful. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so bad. It's not easy to be told no. I had a Chevy sure. dealer ask me to leave. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, they probably did you a favor. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah sure. they did. <laughs> Absolutely, they did. Uh, yeah. How did you go from graphic design and marketing to being involved with Griot's Garage. Oh, great story. I came home one day, and one of the things that we were specializing in at Warner Design were catalogs. Now, again, this is pre-internet, so everybody mailed catalogs. Right. And that's how you found out about other products other than your local stores. It was a you know big deal. And so I came home one day, and there was this catalog, Griot's Garage, and it had this white 72 911S Porsche on the cover, which actually many years later ended up being my car. And I, my wife said, you know, you, you might like this company. They sell cool car stuff. And I said, how come I've never heard of them? And I flipped it over and I said, they're in Vista. That's like 10 minutes up the road from Del Mar. And so the next day I got on the phone and called and actually Richard answered, Richard Grio answered. And long story short, I, I ended up having to call seven times because he basically kept hang, hanging up on me. You know, he said, <laughs> I, I, we, we already have somebody. We don't need you. Goodbye. And I'm like, I got to do this catalog. Number one, it sucks. It's not done well. We could, do, <laughs> we could do it so much better. But it's like, oh, cars, you know. Yeah. So I called him back and I said, look, I'm not going to try to sell you. I want to come up and buy about $250 for the product. But I want to pay for shipping. 
and you guys are right up the road. I'm just going to drive up and pick it all up. Well, what could he say? No. I mean, not going to say no. And I had no idea what size his company was. I had visions of this big company. Well, I went up there and it was him, another guy, and a gal at the front desk. That was it. Wow. You know, he had just started. I got his first catalog. Oh. And then a guy would stop by, a young kid would stop by after high school and pack the orders for the day. So it was this tiny little business, little warehouse, little office. And we struck up a conversation and I finally convinced him that he should hire us because we were one of the first agencies to use what was called a Macintosh computer, a Mac SE, which compared to what you can do now was silly, but it was way more than cut and paste, yeah. which was back in the day. So we started doing his book, and uh, we did his catalog uh, uh, probably for about two years. And then one day he said, hey, why don't you just come and work with me and help build this business? And I said, well, the business doesn't look very big. And the company I'm with, I've helped build. I'm a part of it now. And he said, well, look, how about if I give you part of this business, a percentage, and then we'll build it together. And he had family money, and he had the funds to do it. So that's how I ended up there. So told my business partner I'm going to be leaving. He was very upset because he had grants of ideas of retiring and me taking over. So that's how we met. And that's how I ended up at Grio's Garage and uh, was there for 20 plus years. So I, it, wow. I basically worked for him for about 23 years. In fact, I gave my boss about three months notice of leaving to help him out. And during those three months, I would work full time at my advertising job. And then I would go work nights and weekends at Grio's. And I did the, I worked for free for three months, actually. He wasn't even paying me yet. And so just to kind of get in it and started doing it, because one of the curves he threw at me was, by the way, we're leaving Southern California and moving to Washington State. Oh. Yeah. And I said, well, that won't work for me. I drive a convertible. And, uh, <laughs> and, and the top the top doesn't do well. It kind of leaks in the rain because it, it was an 84 Porsche Carrera Cabriolet. But those tops back then were not for inclement weather. No. They actually dripped. Uh, yeah, if it got too much, you know. So it's kind of hard to surf the waves, you know, and the, the current's coming off of freaking Alaska. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Well, believe me, I did try to go surfing from here once. It's a two-hour drive to the coast. It's freezing cold. I bet. <laughs> I was still cold by the time I got home. So that was yeah. a surfing career. But, but, but he wanted to do it because even back then, he wanted to escape California. The taxes, the bureaucracy, the difficult way to run a business. That was 30 years ago. I mean, so people are still escaping California, right? Hasn't improved uh, so, lots. Uh, no, sadly, not at all. So, uh, yeah, so that's how I got involved with that. It, it was a great run. I got to do so many things. I got to travel the world, look for cool products. I did pretty much everything that could be done there. And the last years there, I was the president of the company. And so I uh, got to do a lot. And it was fun. Yeah, great experience. Griots grew into a quite a bit larger business. Oh, yeah. What prompted you to leave and inspired you to start Cars Yeah? Well, it was a variety of things. When you're somewhere for a long, long time, things start to change. The, the conditions were changing there. That wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I just kind of went, you know, maybe it's time. And to go do something, as my wife said, look, you've helped two people build their businesses. Now you, you benefited from being employed and having ownership. Why don't you go build your own business? Yeah. I mean, you work really hard. You work harder than the boss. So I was always the first one in, the last one to leave, working weekends, bring a work home. So so that was a, a part of it. The other thing was we went through a really difficult time in the family. We had 
three big hits. My dad had fallen and broken his neck. He was 80 years old. Yeah, he his doctor called and said, your dad's got the Christopher Reeve break, C2 vertebrae. He shouldn't even be walking or should be alive. Yeah. And then my, my wife's mom got cancer. And then my wife ended up with a serious medical condition uh, with a tumor in her leg, which uh, required a long surgery and then months of not being able to walk. And so all these things kind of caved in on us at once. Uh, we just got into my daughter through a out-of-state private college. So that kind of hurt financially, but we did it. I didn't want my kids to have any debt. And my son, it just was in his first year of a, another private school on the East Coast. He attended <laughs> RISD, really nice school for uh, industrial design. And so I needed to do something to still make income. And I don't sit around very well. So there was no, something apparently I not. To do. <laughs> yeah. So um, my son came home from uh, to visit us from school one time. And I said, what am I going to do? You know, your mom is going to have months of convalescing. I need to do something at home. And I'd been recruited by some headhunters and things after I left to go work for companies. And I'd have interviews and I get off the phone. And I go, that sounds like an ugly company. I mean, terrible. Why would I want to sell sinks? You know, I mean, I want to do something with cars. That's what I want. And so thankfully, my wife was very supportive. She looks, we've got some money in the bank. Do something you want to do. And my son said, Dad, you've been taking me to car events. You took me to all your because I did vintage racing. We may talk about today. And he said, what do I always tease you about? You can't walk by somebody without talking to them about their car and their business. <laughs> and he said, why don't you do that? And I said, well, how do you make money doing that? Because your college tuition is really expensive. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, well, how about a podcast? And I, I literally said, I don't know what that is. What's a podcast? And he goes, oh, dad, get with it. Now, this was nine years ago. Yeah. So podcasts were not what they are today. I mean, some people were doing them, but not very many. It was kind of hard to figure out where to listen and so I did a bunch of investigating. I, I listened to lots of podcasts. There weren't many car podcasts back then. Adam Carolla was one of the only guys doing a car mm-hmm. podcast. There were a few others. I call as many podcasters as I could to ask them about how do you do this and how do you make money at it and what is it and what do you have to learn? And I connected with a guy named John Lee Dumas, D-U-M-A-S, Dumas, who's an incredibly successful podcaster, uh, Entrepreneur on Fire. And he was just starting a thing called um, Podcast Paradise, where he and his, uh, it was then his wife now, but his girlfriend, they were training people how to be podcasters because he had really, he had dialed this thing in. He just hit every mark. He was the first seven-day-a-week podcaster. Anyway, I joined, and they taught you how to do all the things in podcasting. And I just said, well, if I just try to emulate him, and he always said niche down, niche down to cars, then perhaps I could be successful. And that's how it all started. So literally, I decided to do it on January 1st and May, I think one year anniversary of my day of leaving Griot's was the first day I launched my first show. That was kind of my goal. I had to figure it all out in that time frame. I watched a lot of YouTube videos of how to record, how to edit, what kind of microphone to use. You guys know, I mean, there's a, this looks simple, but you know, it's not. (laughs) <laughs> There's a lot of moving parts to this thing. And and I've actually mentored several people. I've been hired to teach people how to do a podcast. And about halfway into the teaching, they go, this is a lot of work. Yeah. And yeah. I said, well, yeah, There's you got to learn a lot of things. It, it's not hard work, but it's you got to learn how to do a lot of stuff. And you got to be a, a jack of multiple trades, as you know. 
You've got to be able to communicate well. You've got to be able to reach out. It, it goes back to my paper route. You've got to be able to talk to people. You've got to be able to collect your fees every month. You've got to be able to convince people that you're the right person to buy a newspaper from or to get your car details from. Mm -hmm. All those, that training kind of all came together with this thing. And I was not an IT guy. I mean, we had a department for that. When I left Reels, there was over 100 people working there. So we had a department for IT. They did all that stuff. I wasn't doing the graphics anymore. And, you know, I was running the company and we had multiple locations and manufacturing and distribution and all this stuff. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was, I worked, well, as I said, my wife was bedridden. So we had a little system. If she needed to be carried to the bathroom or cooked for, she would ping me on my phone. And I sat here and I just, I was up, even my neighbors across the street said, do you ever sleep? Your light is on like all night long because I work in the front part of my house. I just learned how to do it. And uh, yeah, launched the first one in May. And everyone said I was nuts to do five shows a week. They were right. <laughs> and here we are, you know, um, well, you were, Brett, you were show 2196. I'm up to uh, 2218 uh, on wow. December 1st. Cranking them out. Yeah. So, you know, it's that tenacity. I, again, it goes back to being a paper boy. You've got to get up every morning. You may not want to some mornings, but you have to because people are depending on you. And I kind of think about that as my audience. People are depending on me. I've only missed one show, and that was the day my dad passed. And I learned that day that I had to have shows in the can, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, he died kind of suddenly. He had just been here the Friday before visiting wow. for the week, and I had taken that week off to spend with him and had my kids here. I brought my kids home. And um, and so I thought, okay, you know, the weekend I'll I'll do a couple shows and get caught up and then found out he was sick. And then Monday he passed away. So I missed a show. I reran a show, basically what I did. But uh, other than that, um, haven't knocked, knock on wood, <laughs> my noggin, I'm not going to, uh, yeah, I haven't missed one yet, but uh, yeah, it's, you, just, you know, that there's probably more wind than you wanted to hear, but that's how it happened. No, it, it makes me grateful. I didn't have to learn all of the microphone and board and how to make it sound right and how to get the format and everything else. I just brought Mark on as a partner and or, you're way smarter than me or, or <laughs> where more, were you? I don't know. If you talked to me more than 10 minutes, it might've not been his best move. <laughs> more appropriately, Mark found me. He needed a car nerd and I am that car nerd. Oh yeah. Uh, fortunately, I, I know how to read out loud a little bit and <laughs> Mark just makes us sound great. So Right. Uh, I'm I'm forever grateful. I'm always bragging him up. He's always too humble to accept the compliments, <laughs> which makes me want to strangle him. But that's okay. Uh, he's he's the reason we sound good. I found a guy who'd been in radio for 35 years. I cheated. <laughs> well, no, you were smarter than me because there's a big learning curve with this. And there is a lot of moving pieces, and I can't tell you how many. Well, ask my wife how many times I've wanted to punch my computer. You record a show and the whole thing disappears right as, before your eyes. Oh God! As yeah. long as I'm I'm taking this opportunity to brag on him, for everybody who doesn't know, Driven Radio was Mark's idea. Mark <laughs> came Mark came to me. This was his idea, and nice. we talked about a format and we experimented setting it up, and we had a couple of early guests, and you know, there's been rocky spots along the way, but everything smoothed out pretty well. We've been doing this for four and a half years, and. Damn, am I glad I didn't have to learn all the crap Mark knows. <laughs> <laughs> You're fortunate, yeah. Well, we, uh, a, 
Go ahead. We uh, started actually as a, a radio show. We were literally, that's why it, you know, it started as Road Muscle Radio. And then uh, driven radio. Uh, then we that. moved it on. Uh, I had to step back for a bit because my job ate my soul. And, uh, and just uh, <laughs> the do that. responsibilities and everything expanded uh, multiple folds. And I had to step back. So uh, Mark, you kept it rolling. Mark was working for a radio company here in town and had been for years. So the other spoiled part was we got to record in an actual <laughs> radio station studio. I, I will say the oh. studios were pretty sweet. You know, uh, yeah. thank you to my boss at the time. Who I, I, you know, I kept it all up top. Said, "Hey, I'm doing this thing. This guy, and we're kind of working on this." He's like, "Yeah, it's all right. Just initially, you know, don't do it on your had, hours." Initially, all I had to buy was a set of headphones. I was set. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and you hear that there's so many podcasters now, and. I'm so critical. I spend a lot of time editing my shows, making them sound as good as possible. Yeah. And you learn things, and Mark knows this. When people come in, call in, if things don't sound perfect, then don't think you're going to make them better. Yeah. It's like if you don't prep a car right, I don't care how well you can spray a gun, it's not going to look good. Yep. You can't spray the paint. So. It is sometimes kind of hard to fix it in the mix, and you just got to well, run what you brung. I know there's people that are much better at the technical side of this because I use Adobe Audition, which is very yep. robust. And yeah. you can do a lot of things with it. I've learned a lot of things and tricks to make the editing process better. But I hear that from a lot of my guests. They go, wow, I sound really good. And I'm like, not really, but. Uh, <laughs> 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 okay, Tell no one. All sure, right. if you think so. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Brett, you were great, though. Yeah, yeah, oh, but, Brett, but Brett, you were different. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were different. You yeah, were the you're one. an exception. <laughs> no, no. But you know what I mean? I, I try to take out the It's not you, it's me. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you get a lot of strange sounds with people. I've, I've interviewed people on airplanes. They've been flying on an airplane, literally. One guy was flying to Europe. My first show, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're on wow. an airplane? Why? Why did you call on an airplane? You know, I I had to have the show up in two days. I've never even done this. I had a guest who, this is funny. I kept hearing a farting sound. No, no. And I'm, and I'm thinking, oh he's my on the gosh. throne. They were multitasking. Did, he's on the what throne. What did this guy do? And finally, it got so bad. I said, I, I've got to stop you for a second because I do record and edit my shows. I said, what do you have for lunch? <laughs> And he goes, what? <laughs> I go, I keep hearing this farting sound. Oh, and he, God. He kind of went silent, and I thought, oh, now I've blown it. And, and he starts laughing. He goes, I'm really sorry. My dog is sitting in my lap, and my dog has oh. a very bad digestive tract. And I just ignore it. I don't even hear it anymore. Oh. And I said, well, you know, several thousand people are going to hear it. Uh, <laughs> Way to blame it on the Shih Tzu. What, yeah. what a raw deal. Yeah. <laughs> hey. That was hey. good. Yeah, nice. so, uh, but seriously, yeah. folks. <laughs> Maybe you ought to quit <laughs> eating him stag chili. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I've heard a lot of interesting things. And sometimes the ambiance is cool. Like a guy who was sitting in front of a cafe in Italy and the women inside were arguing in the background. And oh, the wow. church bell rang. And it was kind of cool. Uh, one of the other weird ones was uh, the photographer, Jesse Alexander who sadly we lost last year, a prolific photographer known in, around the world as shooting, racing, and so forth. And during our show, the sound started getting louder and louder and lo until it was so loud. I literally thought, because he told me at the beginning, he said, I'm in my car. I have hearing aids. It's the only way I can listen and talk very well. I thought he was in a car accident. It sounded like something hit his car. Well, he was, and, and and then it started getting quieter, and it finally went away. And he's laughing. 
I said, are you okay, Jesse? He goes, oh, I'm sorry. That was the train. <laughs> he was sitting He was sitting ne- next to the coastliner. He was in Santa Barbara, and the train went by. I literally thought he'd been wiped out right in the middle of our, middle of our talk. But I haven't lost a guest during a show yet, that, you know, like that just walked out or died. Or anything Hashtag like goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope not. I hope not. Where did the inspiring automotive enthusiast concept come from? That's pretty easy. I'm a business guy. And at Grios, I wrote a lot of the business plans. I wrote the mission statement. I mean, a lot of that came from my writing back in the marketing world. I did a lot of copywriting. In fact, in the Grios Garage Catalog, I wrote all the copy. I had to pretend like I was Richard because it was all written first person. But I wrote all the copy for the products. I came up with a lot of the products. I traveled the world looking for the products, expanded the car care line. So I understand the concept of why. And if you ever watched a great... uh, uh, TED Talks by Simon Sinek, or written his book called Why. He talks about why, figuring out why you do things. So in marketing, and we even did it at Grios one time, we were trying to identify what we were all about in the early days. And we hired a consultant to come in and he kept asking us, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And he really was pushing us. And I, I remember that and we went through this whole exercise. So for me with Cars Yeah, my first step was, why do I want to do this? Because everybody, including my family, is going to go, you're going to do what? You want to be a podcaster? Is that like one of those YouTuber people? (laughs) That's not real work. Those people are just sort of fake. And so I had to figure out why I was doing this. And I went through a lot of exercises that I used to have my clients go through. And I would go through, even when we were trying to decide to sell a product, why are we selling this product? Why would somebody buy it? And so I came up with this rule long ago that if you're going to do something, you need to be able to describe it to people very quickly and very succinctly so they get what you're doing. So the idea was if I stepped into a proverbial 30-second elevator talk, 15-second, if I stepped into an elevator and somebody said, what do you do? I needed to be able to tell them before the doors open what I did and what it was and how they could understand it. Yeah. And so I came up with my why, and it's even on my website. If you go down to the footer, you'll see the why of Cars yeah, and what's all about. But I needed to concisely put the description into as few words as possible to be very succinct. And what it came down to was, and I trademarked it, inspiring automotive enthusiast. So it goes like this. What is Cars Yeah? Cars yeah is a five-day-a-week podcast where I interview inspiring automotive enthusiasts. People who are doing what they love in the world of cars, motorcycles, and trucks. And the idea has a double entendre. I'm interviewing inspiring automotive enthusiasts so that we can inspire you and realize, help you realize you can have fun in the car world like we are. Nice. So that's where the whole concept came from. So I use that over and over again. It was a concept we came up with at Griot's where the term was have fun in your garage. And that, that was everywhere, even in the salutation on every email, every when you called the call center, that were, those were the last words somebody said. And it re- reinforces to the listener or the prospective client of why I'm here. So you're at, you're at not Grios, I used to work there. You're at Cars, yeah, so <laughs> that you can learn about being an inspiring automotive enthusiast. And you can listen to inspiring automotive enthusiasts who will inspire you help you understand how you can have fun in your career and your life like we're having. You've That's had, where the whole concept came from. 
You've had over 2,200 guests, and you're not showing any signs of slowing down. <laughs> Where do you find your guests? Uh, do you oh, have gosh. a Do you have a list? I'm sure truck you... stops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amway meetings. <laughs> yeah, I was well, in the post office. <laughs> it's a great question because that was a real concern at the beginning, and a lot of people. I remember my mom said, "You'll never. You're going to run out of people like in the first month." I'm like, "Mom, there's lots of car people." Yeah. But yeah. when I hung up the phone, I went, "Oh crap! Yeah, that might happen." <laughs> <laughs> I started I by calling everybody I knew. I knew a lot of people. I mean, I'd been to, at that point, I've been to SEMA like 32 times. So I've been to SEMA a lot. I knew a lot of people in the car industry. And so I started calling people. And from there, every time I would have a guest on the show, I would ask them at the end, is there somebody you know that you think might enjoy this experience that we just had? Could you make an introduction? So at this point, I don't really have to go after too many people at all. They all come to me. But again, I've been doing it for eight and a half years. The other thing I did was I connected with PR companies around the world, actually, because they're always looking for ways to promote their clients. And I worked with, I hired PR firms back in the advertising world. And that was the biggest problem was they needed to make connections all the time. So I called every PR company that I could find and said, do you guys have automotive clients? I can promote them for free. Well, they love that. Sure. So, yeah. so I did that. Then I started calling book publishers and I said the same thing. If you do automotive books, and there's a lot of publishers that do that, I will promote your books. All you have to do is send me a book and make an introduction, and I will record a show, and I will put that out there. I'll put your picture of your book you know, with me holding it or my coffee mug next to it and do it that way. Then I started calling car clubs, which is something that we did at Grio's Garage all the time to try to get people to our event center. So that's how I did it. Again, it goes back to being a paper boy, to being an account executive, knocking on doors, cold calls. And that's how I started building it up. And if you are consistent, that's the key in podcasting, consistency. That's yes. what everybody I talk to is successful. Produce show. If you're going to say you're going to do a show a week, do a show a week no matter what. Even if it's a crappy show, put it out there. And so all those things kind of come together, and that's how I find all the people that I find. And it's not easy, but I do have a list. I have a list right – in fact, I was just looking at it this morning of over 2,900 names right now. To that get are people to? that that are potential guests. Yes. Oh well, I was yeah. going to suggest a couple. I'll screw that. I'm not. Doing <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you know, please do because he cars no. <laughs> yeah, cars no. Yeah, because some people take a long time. Uh, yeah. I had a guy on my show that I had sent 36 emails to. He had wow. said yes numerous times. I'd walked up to him in person on the lawn at Pebble. He said yes, but never came through. And I got to like email number, I, I have a system every week of what I do every day. And Thursdays are my email days. I send out typically a couple hundred emails to potential guests. It's just part of the process that I do. I have a system the way I do it. It's very personal, but it's kind of systemized, if you will. And this gentleman, I almost didn't send him that 37th email. I just went, God, this guy's never going to, he's just one of those yes people. You know, those girls at school that go, yeah, Mark, and then they never go out. <laughs> I had too many of those. So <laughs> I sent it. It was a Friday. And about a half hour later, the phone rings, and it's him. And I go, hi, Jim. He goes, hey, Mark. Uh, I know I've been hard to reach, but I uh, want to do a show tomorrow. <laughs> I said, yeah. He goes, okay, what time? And I said, you pick it. He goes, I'll call you at 8 in the morning. Okay. And we did wow. a show. So uh, never. I just say a no today is a possible yes tomorrow. How long does it take you to produce a show beginning to end? 
How much time do you think you have invested? Yeah, that, After 2,200 shows, you've got to have kind a of a feel. Of My whole life. Uh, yeah, it's probably, it's hard to add up because there's different elements. But let's say prepping for a show, uh, acquiring the, the imagery I need from them, the bio, writing up my sheet that I use when I interview people, let's say 30 minutes. And then 45 minutes to record the show, an hour to edit and post the show and build the show notes page and do the marketing for it. So what's that? Uh, two hours and a half, two hours maybe, you know, per show, maybe something like that. Now, some take more than others. And I, you know, some are very fast. Sometimes I'll contact somebody and we'll record a show that day. Oh, wow. Uh, like, that is yeah. a quick turn. And other people take 37 email. I think the record is like 50 emails. <laughs> playing hard to yes. get gets you angry gets your wind up and now it's like no i will have you oh well, yes i will you know it gets to be that way honestly for me i mean I, i'll take a, a great example dan gurney i had promised to be on my show multiple times but he was aging he was not doing well and every time we had a, a schedule a secretary would call kathy and say, i'm sorry he's not feeling good today we're gonna have to pass maybe next week and sadly i never got him you know, he passed away before I got him. So uh, Sir Sterling Moss was another one. Uh, canceled on me like five times. And his wife, Susie, just said he's not feeling good today. He was ill. He was old. And he eventually passed away. So sometimes I don't get him. But uh, my my big fish is Jay Leno. And sadly, now he's burned up his face. So. Uh, sorry, oh no! Jay, know, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's all right. You yeah. can you can make that joke because now it opens the door for me because I'm like you're a quitter. There is a thing well, called a Ouija board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, he, I, I, and I'm Jay. I'm I'm just having fun, and, he, and I say that because I've heard it's not as serious. But he did get burned while working on a car this week. Oh, yeah, one um, of his guys he, said it didn't. It it wasn't that bad, yeah, just, and it was going to make a 100 percent recovery. So good. yeah, Our, so he'll make a joke about going to a spa and getting a skin peel. I'm sure that we're going to yeah, do that. Uh, well, uh, but. Yeah. Our, our so, hearts are sure with Jay as he's getting course. through this. Yeah. He's an awesome guy. Yeah. So, but he's a good example of just, I cannot land the guy. I've walked up to him so many times, given him my card. I just can't get to him. He obviously doesn't need me. Uh, he's quite famous, obviously, but I would love to interview him. Um, so there, there are, you know, people like that that you still want to get famous people. Yeah. Um, hey, you, know, you just got to keep trying. Don't feel bad. Jay's our great white whale also. Yeah, yeah. He's, the one we, he's the one we're dying to land he's, uh, he's hard to get so if you get him i'm going to be very jealous well i, I maybe a little angry <laughs> yeah I, I doubt we get him before you do but one of the things that you you're talking about and it's one of the things you brought up was tenacity and just never say die yeah. right never as, quit as and i love that 50 emails 50 <laughs> Wow, 50. <laughs> I know. By 20, I would have been cussing the guy. I never give up, never <laughs> well, surrender. Hey, here's, here's what you got to think about, though. Sometimes they don't see them. I had a guy one time that called me. He says, oh, my gosh, I found 12 emails in my spam folder from you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You know, um, so let's do it now. <laughs> but you just can't give up. And I always say if somebody says no this year, I'll try them again next year because maybe things will change. And maybe they'll see some value in doing a free 35-minute commercial. Well, in yeah. the midst of doing all this, you also had a, a, a season of a TV show. I know. That you produced. Yes. Yeah. Tell us um, about I, that. Well, I self-produced a television show, Cars yeah TV, in 2019. We did 13 episodes. It aired on MAV TV, and it streamed on Lucas Oil Racing. 
Um, I had some part, uh, a one partner ended up not working out well, and then I had a great crew that worked with me. And so we raised some money, I raised some money, and we went and did these shows. And then we were, we had half of the next year done. Now, that was 2020. Yeah. Something happened in 2020. What was it? Something uh-huh. happened. Yeah, this thing called COVID. That killed everything, so oh, we couldn't yeah. do that anymore. And so for two years, um, we didn't do anything. And now we're talking about it, but it's TV is a weird any guys worked in TV? It's a weird world. Um, it's very difficult, very expensive, very time consuming. And so at this point, I'm not sure if we'll bring that back. What I did was I did the podcast, but I brought you behind the proverbial garage door, brought you into people's businesses. So we traveled all over the country, met with people, took you inside, showed you how their business worked. I thought it was kind of a neat idea. The host was kind of goofy looking, but you know, <laughs> the face for radio, as they say. So, but it was fun and we were, it was great, but it was very expensive to produce. And I found out a lot of these shows you see on TV, those guys aren't getting paid. Yeah. Uh, they don't make, they're just give the shows away. And the contracts that I was looking at for coming back was like, they own you and they don't pay you anything. Why? Who would do that? Well, it's for exposure. Yeah. Well, I already have a lot of exposure. I mean, I'm already in 80 countries. I've got thousands of listeners all over the world. So I, that didn't really pencil out. And it was it's a lot of work, you know, paying five guys and put them up in a hotel and fly them all over the country and shoot and then edit. And yeah, so I don't know if we'll be able to bring that back. I hope so. Now, if I had the, you know, the Jay Leno effect, I could do a YouTube deal. Because people do make money on YouTube, but you got to have lots of million-plus type followers. I mean, that's a whole sure. other, whole other world I don't have. So I don't know. We'll see. But it was fun to do, very interesting learning experience, and uh, maybe we'll come back with it. I don't know. We'll see. Well, maybe you'll be able to be do it like Derek from Vice Grip Garage because we, uh, we interviewed him yeah, a couple of years, two, yeah. three years ago on uh-huh. uh, when we were doing Road Muscle Radio more often. And uh, he's now got his own show uh, on, uh, oh, what is the channel? Uh, I just blanked on it. Um, uh, you know, there's like 1,000 channels now or something like that. Yeah, Motor Motor Trend. It's backed by Motor Trend. And maybe you can get Motor Trend or one of the kind of more private channels to be able to sponsor you and make your show part of their slate of shows. And so it's kind of like TV. You should listen to my most recent show with Wayne Carini, and you'll hear about Motor Trend and about cable TV and some really big changes that are coming up. Uh, nice. Go back and listen to that show. Uh, I'm not so sure Motor Trend or cable is going to even be around in the next few years. Oh, Things wow. Are, yeah. Not, uh, bold statements. People may be laughing at me right now. But <laughs> you they, heard it first things, here. Mark Green. Things, they are a change. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the streaming process, finding a, an, an avenue on the streaming process. But here's the deal. If they're not going to pay for a crew to go shoot, which a lot of these guys are not going to risk that unless you're famous. I mean, really famous. You've got to pay for all that and you got to figure out a way to pay for it. Now, you can yeah. do it like I did it through my sponsors, but it doesn't leave a lot of money on the table afterwards for all your time, at yeah. least for me. So, but I'm not Wayne Carini. I've been doing this for eight, you know, he's been doing this for 18 years. So, long time. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Maybe. <laughs> it's a lot of money and a lot of time. That's the answer. Podcasting is easier. I just commute down the hallway. I talk to people from all over the world. Today, I was on the phone with somebody from uh, Sweden, London, 
where was I? Florida and L.A. Wow. So I kind of worked my way out west. Anyway. Everyone who knows you, Mark, knows that you sold one of the world's most unique Porsche 930s on Bring a Trailer not long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the car. Why was it so special? And, uh, boy, that went for, for monster money. It did. I got very lucky. I caught a falling knife, as they say. The car was a uh, 1987 930 Turbo. It was a car that I had had a 45-year love affair with. It goes all the way back to the first Porsches that came out, the first Turbo, first-gen Turbo. This was second-gen Turbo. And I found it on eBay, bought it, got it about 13 years ago. What made it special and why it was called my orange crush, one is I had a crush on it because I'd wanted a turbo since I was in high school. One of my friends in high school, her dad bought one of the first turbos in La Jolla. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that thing is killed. I mean, that was the supercar of the day. Sure that was the fastest car in the world at the, the time, day, yeah. which is silly because a Camry would beat it now. But, <laughs> uh, but, you know, back in the day, that was a big deal. So I found that car and bought it. It was one of only three painted in a three-stage metallic pearl orange and there's a very in-depth story to this car and i'll try to condense it down otherwise we'll be here for another hour but basically the car was special ordered by a guy who owned a dealership mr four tens in ohio i believe it was um and he he asked porsche to build one and they said no we built one as a press car in in 86 that car is in our basement no one's going to touch it we don't do that kind of paint, not going to do it. And he begged them and they said, well, if you'll order three, I'll do it. So he ordered three turbos. One was a slant nose. The other two were my car and the sister car to my car, although my car was the most highly optioned other than the slant nose option, which was very expensive. And he brought them over and he sold them. And I got my car from the guy who had was the original owner of the car. And so I had it for 13 years. I used it as a marketing tool. Everyone knew it was my orange crush, and I used a lot of pictures and so forth. Well, here's the funny thing. A guy named Mark Fortens, the son of the guy who ordered my car, works at Penske Porsche. And he followed cars, yeah. And he called me one day years ago, and he said, I got to ask you, where did the car come from? And I told him the story, and he goes, that was my dad that ordered your car. (laughs) And your car was the last of the three sold. And he kept it in our garage so nobody knew there was another one. And I used to sit in your car as a teenager. I want that car. And so I said, well, listen, Mark, if I ever decide to sell it, I'll call you, but I'll probably never sell it. Well, fast forward, uh, the car had become too valuable. The collector car market exploded over the COVID years. And and we all have seen these cycles, but it was doing things like I've never seen. It was ridiculous. And so when I bought the car 13 years ago, it was very inexpensive it had become very valuable and I, it was, it had become too precious. I like to drive cars and I just didn't drive it much anymore. I was so afraid something would happen to it. My wife would freak out every time I got in it. Don't take it anywhere. <laughs> and so I would never leave it parked anywhere. I would only drive it to, you know, I try to drive it once every week just to put fluids through it. Cause car, Porsches don't like to sit. I take it to a car show, but I was always nervous that somebody would, you know, cause those cars are little now. Yeah. Even new 911s are giant compared that somebody would back over the hood of it at a grocery store. So I wasn't driving it. And in January, I finally looked at my wife and I said, I think I like the idea of owning the car more than I like owning it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and I'm not a collector. I, there was one time where I had lots of cars. I had two race cars I had motorcycles, but it's just 
I've been trying to pare my life down and simplify. So I said, I think I'd like to sell it and go back and buy a newer Porsche that I would actually get in and drive and not be afraid to let it get rained on and, you know, enjoy it. Yeah. And so that's what did it. So I hired a guy, Rafi Manazian, who had been a guest on my show. He helped me sell it. He helps people sell cars and bring a trailer. I know Randy Nonnenberg. I had him on my show twice. So we had him on the show the, the day after my car went live, Randy. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it brought a record. It still holds a record price, which is not saying much now because prices are starting <laughs> to go down again. Yeah, they are. So I, again, I it was June of this year. I, it was like the peak of craziness. I still see some people buying cars and I shake my head going, well, I hope you just love it. You're not buying thinking you're going to make money. But I've never bought a car that way, but I've been very lucky. All my collector cars I've made money on by sheer luck, not by design. And I think that's the secret is buy a car that is very, was very successful when it came out. Everybody wanted one. And you'll probably do fine over the long run. But mostly buy it to enjoy it and drive it. That's the key. Absolutely. Yeah. So I couldn't agree Orange more. Crush lives in our north now in a garage that is way nicer than mine. A very, uh, very uh, wealthy collector bought it with multiple cars. It's living in a garage that I could only dream of having. And I've got rights to come and visit. So there you go. Best of all worlds. Very cool. Yeah. All righty. Now, here comes my favorite question that oh, I ask okay. of everybody. What is the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Just one? <laughs> <laughs> Let her rip as many as you want. Oh, Just gosh. remember statute of limitations. Yeah, That's it, your it, only <laughs> guiding factor. Anything you're brave enough to talk about. Yeah. Allegedly. Probably driving too fast many times. I think one of the silliest things I did was I got into BMW M3s, uh, E36 M3s when I decided I wanted to start racing. I bought one and I started doing track days. I bought slicks and wheels and I'd go and do BMW driving days and we'd have fun. And I learned how to drive faster and faster. I had a coach that helped me a little bit. And then I bought an E46 when they came out and was doing the same thing with that car. And one night... I was at, I used to stay and work late <laughs> every night. It seemed like when I was at Creos. well, Thursday nights were called boys night out. And I would invite friends over to come and test products that, that I was trying to develop. And I'd buy them pizza dinner. And so it was late. It was raining. Pacific Northwest does that up here. And I had pulled my wheels off and put the racing rims and slicks on the car. And so, and I'd forgotten that I'd done that. And so it's like 10 at night. It's raining and I get in the car and I start driving home and I'm driving. And I was like, man, the car is really, what's going on? Things like moving all over the road. Like there must be a lot of water here, plane, you know, planing and stuff. Uh-huh. Well, cause dumb. Uh-huh. I won't call myself a dumb jackass, but I will. <laughs> I was driving home in the rain on race slicks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. This is the first time I've ever admitted this, by the way. So you guys got a scoop here. And so I got close to home and I realized what I'd done. I went, oh my gosh, this was stupid. You were surfing home. (laughs) I was surfing, yeah. So now the other thing that I did that was really stupid was I did two things that night. I was coming down the off-ramp and we they just put these roundabouts in where we live at the time. They they really hadn't had them up here. And they were kind of fun, you know, drive through a car. Well, there was nobody around. And I had inadvertently, I have the competition package on my E46. I I still have an E46. It's not the car I was in at the time. It's a next one um, that I still have. I bought new in 05. And I inadvertently hit the button, which turns about 
half of the traction control off. So it's kind of fun on a track because you can slide it, but it won't let you be stupid unless you're driving on slicks in a rainy night in mm-hmm. the dark. And so I come down, I go into the roundabout and I thought, okay, this could be kind of fun. You know, cars got slicks and I could really just drift around this circle and nobody's around and dead quiet. And that didn't happen. Car, <laughs> car did a major rotation. I mean, two complete rotations and all i'm doing is please don't hit a curb please don't hit a curb. <laughs> ended up going making it about a quarter of the way through and then partially up a hill still while rotating just going along for the ride because you put the brakes on at that point lord forget it it's like being on ice and luckily i stopped facing the wrong way in the wrong lane of traffic Whew. now Whew. again very, yeah, woo, whoosh is right. Um, no traffic, nobody around, so no harm, no foul, other than my heart was about to come out of my chest, and well, yeah. I probably had to soil my leather seats. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that was pretty dumb. That was double dumb. Double dumb? Double, double dumb. dumb. Yeah, double down that, dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> double dumb dumb, yeah. So, yeah, there you go. You got it out of me. Nailed it. I admit it. Yeah. yeah. You're not that's... the first and certainly not the last, so don't. No. Don't feel Probably terribly not. bad about it. Probably uh, not. We've been speaking with Mark <laughs> Green of Cars Yeah. Uh, Mark, tell us real quick, where can we, can we find your social media? Oh, all over the place. Uh, cars Yeah, Y-E-A-H dot com. You can find a website where every 2,200 plus guest shows are there. I've shown notes page for every guest, including uh, the famous Brett, uh, who uh, we're talking with today. Uh, he's show number 2196. You'll find him there, but just type in uh, the search bar. And if you'd like to subscribe to my email, click on the free book button. I'll send you my free filler up book, uh, which is kind of a cool little ebook that I created. And you'll get my weekly emails, which are recaps of my guest shows. You can find me on virtually every mobile podcast app. I'm on about 80 of them now. You can also find the shows on YouTube. Uh, now, if you go there and you see the dismally low uh, viewership, please don't be alarmed because <laughs> most people don't listen to podcasts there, but they let me post it there for free. So that's what I do. Uh, and other than that, uh, yeah, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, and, you know, all the usual stuff, Facebook, both Cars, yeah, and Mark Green with an E on the end of green, greeny, greeny. So there you go. Yeah, that's me. Nice. Mark, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, absolutely perfect. Thank you. And we very much appreciate it, and I appreciate you having me on your show. Well, Brett, this was great. Uh, Thanks for flipping the mic on me. And, Mark, thanks for making this all sound so wonderful. You betcha. That's what he does. (laughs) All right. Cool, guys. Thanks. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners and this tiny dog who's trying to (laughs) me. Yeah, you've got your your mighty lion up there on the lap. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. And you can listen everywhere, find podcasts, or heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves. Yo! Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Driven Radio.